the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a place where science and magic come together to transform fact into evolving truth. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and can also be found on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring Be Here Now. In hindsight, one of the best things that ever happened to me was being driven off the road into a concrete bridge and losing my short-term memory. Before that so-called accident, having a nearly photographic memory and a fairly high IQ, I relied heavily on my mind. My mind was always going, making plans for multiple future events and categorizing past ones, with a strategy for every eventuality. While going to college, obtaining one of my degrees, I attended bar at night to support myself. I worked in a large formal restaurant with a 30-table bar lounge. This was in the day the old-style cash registers that didn't run tabs or do the math for you. I kept the running tab and drink orders for each party in my head. Often I would have 30 tabs running at once. All the waitress need say was, I need another round for table six minus the scotch and soda, and I'd mix the drinks without a recipe, set them on her tray, and mentally add them to the tab. When the tab was, table was ready to check out, I'd ring up the tab from memory. I was wicked fast behind the bar, keeping up with the entire restaurant's demand with ease. Every movement was calculated, premeditated, and streamlined for efficiency. 
I was always at least 16 steps into the future. When the barback approached, I could give him a stocking order without pausing to see what was needed, as I also had a mental list of exactly what I'd used. Soon I became bar manager, holding weekly the stock and order list for the entire lounge in my head as well. I factored in special events and holidays and what additional supplies would be needed without ever writing anything down. My entire life was run that way. I was in total control of my world, but alas, not a part of it. I was never in the present, but miles down the road. I was good at what I did, but not engaged in what I was doing. When I woke up in the hospital with no short-term memory, I'd look outside and see it was either dawn or dusk, but had no idea which. The amazing thing about having no short-term memory is I had no choice but to be present. I didn't track well enough to plan, nor could I access the past. I had to totally reconstruct my world and how to operate within it. I built subroutines, a stepwise series of actions that, when repeatedly applied, form a unified routine. With subroutines, I found my way through a task by observing where I was in the process. I neither had to plan nor remember. I learned that by setting the clear intent of what I wished to accomplish, then staying in the present moment and following my promptings, I could achieve more in less time than most people who weren't impaired. I didn't have to stop and think about what to do next or make plans. I found subroutines freed me up. Without a short-term memory, I wasn't attached to them, leaving them free to shift position in their entirety as needed. Stimulus in the environment would prompt the appropriate subroutine. I became extremely flexible. Being in the moment, I could turn on a dime. I didn't have to discard one plan and then implement or design another when things changed. I also held memories in physical locations rather than in my brain. Anytime I returned to a place such as a hotel or a business where I'd built subroutines, the environment would trigger the needed routine for me. This kept my brain uncluttered and available to be totally present. The head injury had so decompartmentalized my brain, there is a much shorter distance between any two points, allowing for rapid processing and flexibility. Globally, we're in extremely volatile, unprecedented, and rapidly changing times. My so-called impairment has enabled me to surf the shifting realities with ease and stability. With no identity or agenda, I'm available for whatever comes next. Our guest this hour, Thomas Steiner, is the author of Fully Engaged and The Practicing Mind. He's accomplished as a musician, composer, and technician in various musical fields, a recording and audio engineer. He speaks around the world on developing focus and discipline and lives in Washington, Delaware. After this commercial break, I'll introduce Thomas, and together we'll explore the power of being present. We are at www.thescienceofmagic.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. 
This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers a certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th, Registration deadline is September 12th. Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Thomas N. Sterner, is the author of Fully Engaged and The Practicing Mind. His website is www.tomsterner.com. Thomas, thanks for joining us on the Science of Magic. Uh, thank you, Gwilda. It's great to be here. Uh, Tom, your work revolves around using focus and attention to achieve life's goals. It would appear that our achievements can only be as good as our goals. So, so let's start there. How important is it to know what we really want when we're setting our goals? Well, I think that the, you know, if you don't have a goal, you don't have a direction. I always tell people that what happens with a goal is that we misuse the goal because we become very attached to the goal as soon as we make it, which when we do that, it makes the distance between, well, it, it tells us that we're here and the goal is someplace else, and we have to go through this process to get to the goal. And that many times puts us at odds with the actual experience of achieving the goal. So I tell people that it's very important to know the goal, and it's also very important to have accurate information about the goal, so that when you begin to work on the goal, 
you don't sabotage yourself because you have set unrealistic expectations on the goal. So, for example, if you wanted to lose 20 pounds and you said to yourself, well, that should take me 10 days. Well, see, that's unrealistic expectations <laughs> because it's not correct data. It's not that you may, you may be actually moving towards your goal of losing 20 pounds at, at an accelerated rate, but in your mind, you know, eight days into it, when you've only lost maybe seven or eight pounds, you feel like you're failing and you begin to lose um, your confidence. So it's very important to know your goal and have accurate information about it. But at, um, after that, uh, I, I would encourage people to just use it as a rudder to steer your efforts uh, in the present moment. Got it. You know, yeah, it's been my experience that few people are are clear as to what they really want, right? So, so most of our goals are based on creating solutions to imaginary problems rather than actual desires. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think that that's a great point. I mean, many times if you ask people um, if they could do anything they want, if, uh, you know, they don't know. I mean, they've never actually thought about that. They're so wrapped up in moving from task to task that they really don't ask themselves, you know, what is it that they want? And they don't have a clear idea. And if you don't have a clear idea, then basically your your moment-to-moment actions are going to reflect that. So I think it's very important to know, you, you know, to really have a good idea of what your goal is and then to let go of it. You know, to just, like I said, to know the goal, have a clear idea of it, let go of it, and then become immersed in the process of achieving it rather than the moment that the goal is realized. Got it. You know, um I um, used to work with air traffic controllers, and they told me this interesting thing that you have a flight path, and you file this flight path, and you know you go from, say, DIA, Denver International, to L.A., and, but the, the percentage of the time that the aircraft is actually on that flight path is n- minimal, and yet they still land where they needed to go. But there's all these deviations, and isn't, isn't that the same thing with reaching a goal? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when you become, there are things that are going to change. I mean, the goal is fluid. You know, the process is fluid because you can't know everything about what is going to occur and what you need to know to accomplish the goal when you start. So you have to be, you know, like to use the Zen thing, you have to be like uh, fluid, like water and able to just move around things. You're still flowing downhill towards the river, you know, and you're going to get there. But when you begin to resist that, uh, you begin to feel stress and struggle. And I think that that's a very important point. Um, you're, you're right. Uh, when you're in the process, you're basically just experiencing what is happening now and continuing to work towards the goal, using it as a rudder, and you're ju- making adjustments and not judging the adjustments as being good or bad. And again, that's staying present, isn't it? That's right. It's present, what I call present moment functioning, PMF. <laughs> we could all use a little more of that. What do you think is one of the main things that prevents people from reaching their goals? Well, I think that for one, you know, we have this um, we have this feeling of being incomplete all the time, and that feeling is nurtured by the marketing media because that's what drives sales. So, you know, we can never be happy with where we are right now. So I think that what happens is is that people make goals, and then those goals are, they're, they're always changing based on what the latest input in. You know, everywhere you go, the media has access to you through smartphones, through, you know, you walk into a convenience store, and if you're standing there waiting for a sandwich to be made, they've there's videos playing, the news is playing, there's all this input that's coming at us. I don't think we have real clear ideas of what our goals are, and we're very easily distracted. So I think, 
you know, for me, when you become more present moment, your mind slows down, your thoughts thin out, and you have more a more clear idea of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And you also don't judge your progress. You're just basically absorbed in this process moment to moment. You know, you said something really interesting um, about the media. It's It sounds like what you're saying, and I've observed this, is that we don't control our own goals. They're spoon-fed to us, and they change on a daily basis based on what we're being fed from the outside. Absolutely. And that's, you know, you know, I'm very big on thought awareness. Excuse me? I'm, I'm very big on thought awareness training. You have to know what your mind is doing during the day. Otherwise, you're not in control. You're just in your thoughts. So I think that it's very important that we learn what our mind is doing. Ooh, could you go a little bit more and, into thought awareness training? That sounds okay. pretty intriguing. Uh, I just want to make, okay. Um, so my, you know, what I tell people is you need to spend a certain amount of time every day uh, in thought awareness training. Now, you can call it meditation. They're just labels for learning to become more aware of what your mind does because your mind is going to think with or without your permission. And for, for <laughs> most people, they don't, they're just not aware. They're just in their thoughts. They're absorbed in what their thoughts are, are. Their mind is visiting all these things during the day, and they're having these emotional responses to whatever that is. So you have to have you have to have that. If you have if you begin to become more aware of your thoughts, then you actually afford yourself the choice of choosing what you're going to think. And also, when you go through a process of meditation, you build the skill and the the will, the strength in your will to guide your mind so that it works for you. That being said, you become more of an observer of what is happening around you, and you're less susceptible to all of this commercial input that is going on 24/7 everywhere you go. And then you can remove yourself from that, and you um, you basically take the spoon out of your mouth, to use your metaphor, and you begin to become much more in control of what you're experiencing. What you, you start to notice what's going on, and you notice all of this. Uh, these commercials. I, I tell people, you know, if you really want to know something about yourself, watch the commercials that are playing during the shows that you watch, because there's millions of dollars of research that has gone into uh, what shows will attract what people, and then that's ba- they base what they can sell to those people during that time. It's a very interesting study. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, and I have a degree in psychology, and there was a whole thing about you know advertising techniques and this and that, and it scared me to death, quite frankly. <laughs> Well, so, I, I had a friend that was um, very big in uh, television production, and she basically walked away from it when she was in a big conference, and the the uh, keynote speaker got up and said, remember this, the only reason there's content on the television is to bring people in so we can sell them stuff. <laughs> so that pretty much sums it all up right there. Wow, that that is scary. And then we sit how many hours a day in front of that thing, letting it do exactly that. <laughs> so I'd like to go back to something that you mentioned about um, thoughts. It's It sounded like you were kind of alluding to most of our thoughts are coming from our history or random or being programmed, but we aren't really using them to create what we want. How do you think thoughts help us create what we want? Well, the mind is there. You know, it's a problem-solving machine. Um, and that, I mean, it's very effective of that, at that. That's the reason why we don't live in caves anymore. I mean, the mind is very good at looking at where we are and then deciding how can I make this better. And I would also say that we need to understand that this craving we have for, you know, get more, get more is really, I think, is misdirected. Um, it's, it comes from 
in our DNA, we're basically designed to want to expand as human spirits. We're, we're designed to want to improve and to increase in our awareness. And that gets steered into, I need to have this car or I need to have a bigger house. You know, uh, So it's misused. But because of that, I think that um, we don't we basically don't use our minds. Our minds use us. And so when we start to clear our, thin our thoughts out through meditation, thought awareness training, whatever you want to call it, we begin to have access. And when we're in the present moment, we have access to our full consciousness. And when that happens, then everything starts to fall into place. We have clarity of thought because we're not thinking about anything but what is right in front of us. And if what is right in front of us is figuring out what our goals are, you know, where we want to direct our thought energy, what, you know, we begin to use the mind for our service and it becomes a very valuable tool. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're basically just a puppet of whatever the emotions that are associated with the thoughts that are happening uh, in our mind are, um, is, is going on. So I would say that you know, what we need to do is, you know, we, through the meditation, we learn to get more control of our mind, and then it basically becomes our servant instead of our master. Do you think that by being mindful of what we're watching, what we're feeding, like you can do pay-per-view and you aren't subject to the, the media, the advertising, or you can, you know, rent movies and choose what you're watching. Is, uh, do you have any other suggestions for people so that they're not being um, programmed, if you will? Well, I think that, um, yeah, well, one is to not watch so much. I mean, because there's, that's such a direct access to you. I mean, even if you buy a DVD to watch, there are a bunch of commercials on the DVD. I mean, if that's the way that I, that's the experience that I've had. I think that anytime you're watching something like that, you're, you are in more control than if you're just watching cable television. But I think what you're finding is that, and this is the trend in media, is that the, the things like Vimeo and YouTube, they are replacing network and cable television because the advantage of them is that we can, um, we can watch and listen to, just like your show, we can pick exactly what subject that we want to pay attention to and that we want to nurture in ourselves. And we have it, so like if you're interested in sailing or you're interested in spirituality, it doesn't matter. You can go onto a, a, you know, YouTube or these other things and you can really focus on what it is that you want to learn. If you watch, um, like I said, even with the, the movies that you can download, there's still a certain amount of commercialism that is involved in that. And so I would suggest less uh, visual. I know that's hard to do in today's world, but if you're going to do visuals, I would be more selective where you, uh, in terms of the venues that you use so that you have more control. Also, there, I, I think that reading, you know, we're, we're losing our ability to focus on anything for any length of time. I mean, that's been documented, and it's because we don't focus on anything for any length of time. And so the part of our brain that has to deal with working at a higher speed and hyperthinking and all that is becoming more and more developed. But the part of our mind, of our brain, that is contemplative and handles those, um, those services is atrophying because we're not using that. And it's really, you're seeing this, you know, and it's very apparent in little kids. They don't, my daughter's in teaching, and she said, you know, they don't have, they have, a ter just zero attention span. The imaginations are going away because everything is done for them. So I think it's very important that, once again, self-awareness. We're aware of what the changes that are happening around us we're and that we're we Thomas, participate Thomas, in changing we're, that. We're going to have to take a break, and we'll get together on the other side of this commercial break. Thomas and I will return to our discussion. You're listening to The Science of Magic on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. I'm your host, Gilda Wiecka. 
Previous broadcasts of thought-provoking episodes can always be found on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. We will be back, so don't you go away. You can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, 
and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Thomas N. Sterner, the author of Fully Engaged and The Practicing Mind. Thomas, um, I'd like to get into the um, back, back to goal setting. It seems often we may set a goal, but then attach our happiness to achieving it. And you touched in on that. Um, and so we attach our happiness to achieving that future goal that takes us out of the present, right? So how do you, how do you suggest uh, setting goals, going towards goals, but not falling into that trap? I think the best teacher of that is once you experience, once you let go of the goal. Now, you know, when, when we, as you just said, what we do is we, we set a goal and then we become very attached to the moment that we reach the goal. And that is a habit that we have created within ourselves and we've been taught that habit from the time we've been children. And we're taught that, you know, um, when you get this, you'll be happy. When you accomplish this, we'll, you'll be happy. And we need to break that habit because once we experience how enjoyable it is to just be immersed in the process of achieving the goal, we usually miss all of that because we tend to look at the present as this nuisance that we have to experience until we get to the moment that we achieve the goal. And so I feel like, you know, if people can just, you know, one time let go of that and, and become more, um, um, just let go of the judging, because that's what happens is when you become attached to the goal, you're always judging everything that happens as a mistake is something that's slowing you down, so it makes you feel um, like you're struggling. All of these things begin to happen within the mind that change the experience of achieving the goal. And most people, they, they give up the opportunity to really live in the present and enjoy everything that's happening to them. And this moment, uh, this moment to moment expansion process that, that they're going through, they don't even notice it because they're so uh, attached to this time where they're going to be able to hold this trophy up or whatever it is that they're working towards. And what I've said to people is that, you know, when you're, you're, when you come to that moment, there is a moment when you, you say, okay, well, I'm going, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to begin, begin to become attached to the present moment and less attached to the moment I have the goal. That's a fork in the road, and you know that when you get to that fork, there's going to be a moment of struggle because there's going to be, be a very strong pull to letting go of that and being attached to the moment that you have the goal. And if you can realize to yourself that, well, I've been on the road over there where I'm attached to the goal all my life, and I, I, attach, I achieve one goal after the other, and I'm never satisfied. I'm always in a state of feeling incomplete. I'm always in a state of longing to get to the next thing. So you know that doesn't work. So if you can let go of that and then go in this other direction because you want to feel something else, I think as soon as it's like anything, as soon as you have – conscious knowing, conscious experience of what it feels like to work in the present, then you it's so much easier to let go of that old habit and to begin to form a new one. And I see this all the time with people 
that I work with, they're so surprised. It's so much fun when they take things uh, in their personality that have always plagued them, and they just have a subtle shift from being um, consciously out in the future to being consciously here in the present moment. All of a sudden, their experience of their day is completely different, and for them, it's like this magic that's happening. But in fact, it's always been there waiting for them to experience. They've just never tried it. That, you know, that's one of the things that, again, I've experienced from having a head injury and not being able to be anywhere but in the moment, is that I would set a goal, but but if I would have achieved the goal at the time I set it, I wouldn't be the person that I needed to be to really take advantage of or live the goal. Um, the process of getting to the goal created something in me as well as something in my environment. Can you speak to that? Yes, everything that we know, everything that we learn has come from our moment-to-moment experiences. I think you make an excellent point. If we could make a goal and instantly have the goal, then not have any growth because it's the, it's that time period between when we make the goal and what we go through, all the learning that occurs and the feeling. I mean, why does a goal feel so good when you accomplish it? It's because of what you've, you've actually accomplished something. If you could just say, I want to do this and, it, and snap your fingers, then it was there. There is no accomplishment in that. So it's the emotional and spiritual experience of growth that naturally occurs during the process accomplishing a goal and achieving it, that is what makes the goal feel so good. And I see it, it it's in everything. If, if you look at, I've done clinics at golf, um, uh, golf schools where you're dealing with high school golfers, and I, I ask them a simple question, why does a good shot feel so good? And I get all these, these goofy answers, and I said, no, it feels so good because you've hit so many bad shots. I mean, it's, uh, and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I just, I never thought of that. Well, it's the learning process. It's, it's all the things that you go through to realize this moment when you've accomplished it. That's what accomplishment is, and that's why it has so much meaning. And if people can realize that, then they, they can begin to enjoy the moment-to-moment process of accomplishing the goals. You know, another thing that I've noticed is um, when you set a strong goal, it seems to me like the next thing that happens is all the things within yourself that stand between you and that goal are suddenly up in your face to be cleared. Have you, have you experienced that? Yes, and, and the way that I look at it is, um, you know, when you feel you're in a, you're in a state of struggle, uh, what you have to realize is that's, and then that's a cue that you're up against a personal threshold. So, for example, uh, if you want to be good at doing job interviews and your goal is to be a really good interviewer, well, if you get into a job interview and you're feeling nervous, um, that's because you haven't mastered doing job interviews. And the thing is that everything that you're um, that feels easy to you is because you're already good at it. So when you begin to feel like you're in a sense of struggle, it's an indicator that you're in a state of expansion and that you have an opportunity to push that threshold forward. And if you can do that, you can stop looking at the nervousness in that situation as being an indicator that you should lack in confidence. Instead, you look at it as, this is an indicator that I'm in a state of expansion, and it's perfectly normal to feel this way when I'm expanding. So you can let go of that feeling and enjoy the fact that you are getting better. And you also have to be in the situation in order to grow. You can't be good at doing job interviews if you don't do, do job interviews. I mean, you have to be in the situation. So if you can understand that beforehand, you basically set yourself up. I think you spoke to that earlier. And, you know, you set yourself up, but it's like almost like a procedure. So you 
you know, okay, when I go into this, I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel some nerves, and that's perfectly normal. So I'm not going to judge it as being a bad thing. I'm just going to accept it and enjoy the process. And so you've, you've already made those decisions before you get into the interview about how you're going to feel when these different experiences begin to happen. And it completely changes your experience and your interpretation of the experience of learning how to master job interviews. Got it. You know, there's another glitch I've noticed um, is uh, I call it the yabbits. So a person will set a goal and then they start talking themselves out of it. Well, yeah, but I could. Yeah, but this is going to go wrong. And yeah, but then that's not good. So they start talking themselves out of the goal before it's even set into motion. How can people avoid that one? Well, that I think is. I feel like that's an habitual response. I think it's something that you learn. I mean, there's so many things we could explore with that. You know, how would when they set goals? I mean, I've met people that every time they had a goal, someone in their family said, you, you know, basically um, made them feel like they weren't. They sabotaged it. They made them feel like they weren't going to be able uh, to accomplish that. And I think you can't change that that habit of behavior. You can't change that way of thinking if you're just in the behavior. So what that again, we get back to this, you have to do thought awareness training, because once you do that, you can begin to separate yourself from those thoughts of, yeah, but this can't happen, or this isn't going to work. See, those are thoughts, and you don't have to participate in those thoughts. But if you are not aware uh, that this, your mind is creating those thoughts as a habitual response, then you're just going to participate in them. You're going to be absorbed in those thoughts, and you have to be able to separate yourself from that process and become the noticer of those thoughts and the, and the part of your, your being that is observing that and saying, those thoughts aren't serving my happiness and they're not serving what I want to accomplish, so I'm going to stop those thoughts. And then these are the thoughts that I want to have in this situation. And that's how you begin to become productive and successful, and your experience of that changes. So basically, again, you're talking about there needs to be a witness present, and present being the key word. Absolutely. That's absolutely. And the only way that I know that has ever been shown that cultivates the witness is by sitting quietly and watching what your mind is doing and directing it to do what you want, whether that's following your breath or saying a, uh, a very a short, like a two or three word mantra over and over again. It doesn't really matter what the words are. It's just, it's just an exercise where, uh, you know, most people go through their day and, like I said, they have no idea what their mind's doing. You can watch people and they're just being jerked around by their mind all day. This something happy happens and they feel happy. Something anxious happens and they, they feel anxious. They get a phone call. It completely changes their mood. They, they just ping pong around based on what the circumstances are that they're experiencing during the day instead of actually being a conscious choice maker as to how they're going to react to different situations. And so you, only, you can only develop that through some sort of thought awareness training. And the mistake that people make when they do this is, you know, you tell them, look, just sit quietly in a chair, comfortable, close your eyes for 10 minutes and just watch your breath. And what's going to happen is your mind's going to run off on its own and you're going to grab it and pull it back, just like a toddler in a toy store. You just keep bringing it back. And what happens is the people try that and they feel like they're always chasing their mind. And so they're not good, quote, good at meditation. And the, the fact is that, no, they're actually very good because they couldn't be pulling their mind back if they weren't noticing that their mind was running all around. So they're actually developing every time they do one of these repetitions of pulling their mind back into the present moment. They're getting more aware. They're getting strong. Their will is getting stronger. They're developing, develop, developing incredibly, but they're judging it as an indication that they're not good at this process of meditating. So it's a very important point for people to realize. 
So it sounds to me like your thought awareness training is basically rewiring the brain because we have these neurological ruts or pathways that we've burnt in through our conditioning and now we're choosing through thought awareness to reprogram our brain to our needs rather than the default settings. Is that what we're talking here? Yes, we are. And we're, and it's also a skill. You know, it's a skill that people haven't developed because they've never they've never spent the time developing it. And, you, you know, just like anything, you know, if you want to be good at running, you have to get out there and run so much. And you have to understand that when you first get out there, you're not going to be able to run very far before you're totally out of breath. So that's what we're doing here. We're, we're developing a, a skill and we're, we're strengthening ourselves. We're doing two things. We're, we're learning to be aware of what the mind is doing and we're learning to control what the mind is doing. And those two things work together and it's tremendously self-empowering. And it's free. It's not hard to do. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. It's a very simple thing, but it's the way that we were meant to function. It teaches us, you know, we begin to become aware when we're not in the present moment. We, we, we start to see our mind pulling us around, and we go, no, I'm not going there. We're going, we're going to do this. This is what I'm doing right now. This is what I'm going to think about. It's amazing the, the control it gives you because you begin to have worrying thoughts. You know, you, I watch people, and they, you ask them, what's wrong? They go, well, I'm worrying. I said, I will say, well, that's a thought, so stop thinking the thought. Well, they, they think they can't do it, but actually they can do it. They can learn to do it. It's tremendously empowering. Yes, being able to control our mind rather than the other way around has got, got to make all the difference in what we create and how we live, doesn't it? We're going to have to take another break, Thomas. Um, Thomas and I are back flip side of this commercial break. You are listening to The Science of Magic on the Exxon Broadcast Network www.exedian.net, the place where altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric create common ground for the betterment of our world. You can always listen to previous transformative broadcasts on our website, our gift to you, and the website is www.thescienceofmagic.net. We will be back, so don't leave us. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with Spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Did 
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. 
An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Thomas Insterner, is the author of Fully Engaged and The Practicing Mind. Thomas, you have a concept that I'm really uh, intrigued by, and that's the premeditated procedures. <laughs> Would you mind explaining that? Well, I, you know, premeditated procedures are used throughout the world in different um, different jobs. I mean, if uh, I have a pilot's license, there's a procedure for absolutely everything in an airplane. I mean, there's a procedure for starting up the airplane. There's a procedure for taxing. There's a procedure for talking to the air traffic control. Uh, and what procedures do is they allow you to make decisions ahead of time for situations that you're going to face that you don't feel like you handle very well. That way you have made decisions in the middle of the um in the middle of the circumstance. Another example is EMTs, you know, emergency um, response people have uh, procedures for all sorts of things because they can't be uh, dealing with emotions when they come up on a terrible accident, they need to just react in a certain way in order to function at this level and be the most productive. So I tell people that it's very important if you can sit down, that you look at yourself and you think, you know, what are the things that I don't handle well? Maybe it's a particular person at work. Maybe it's a, a certain type of circumstance that you find yourself dealing with. And come up with a procedure. Sit down and in the present moment and think, when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my go-to action to get me through that initial moment of feeling confused and responding emotionally. And it's a very powerful thing. And the other thing that you have to realize that when you do this is, just like anything else you practice, it takes a certain amount of repetition to become competent at something. So if, if you're creating a procedure for something that maybe you only encounter once a month, then, and this is one of the reasons why um, coaching is important, because a lot of times people don't go through a situation enough times in a week or so for you to actually show them the progress that they've made. But, but if you can make this procedure up and you have something to go to, it's really pretty amazing and very self-powering how it, uh, what it does for you when the, the situation comes up. It's, you know, it would be like 
if you're going to walk into a dark room and somebody is going to tap you on the shoulder after you take your fifth step into the dark room, if you don't know that, your reaction to it is is one thing. It's it's being scared and jumping. But if I tell you, look, you're going to walk into this room, and you're going to step one, two, three, four, and when your fifth step hits the floor, someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and go boo. It loses all of its effect. So that's you know an analogy of what setting up premeditated procedures can do for your life with stressful situations. Well, that sounds very much like what I was talking about in the beginning about subroutines um, and having an organized set of rituals, a certain way you do things that then can uh, be stimulated by your circumstance. So you don't have to think your way through it. You've already thought your way through it, and that leaves you free to be present. Is this what you're talking about? Yes, that's, a very, that's very good. I, and I picked up on that when you said that. I think that's, that was an, um, an excellent suggestion. So the um, do, do you find that... that that it's trick can be triggered if you're present. Can it be triggered by locale because you're present in locale and you've already set up a routine for it? Yes, yes, because you've already you know. Well, if you have a procedure, um, it can be locale uh, triggered. I mean, there's no reason why it wouldn't be. I mean, it might be the office. You know, like well, when I go into the office, this is how I'm going to handle this situation that seems to occur three times a week. Um, so absolutely, but also the advantage of it is is that if you have that procedure. And it's for a specific situation that occurs. You, what you will find is that it will cross over into situations that are very similar to that outside of the office, because it will be it will become a conditioned response in you for that particular scenario. So it's kind of like uh, it starts to apply across the board when the scenario comes up. That's right, because it's like this, you know, if somebody comes in and says, I mean, I remember. Uh, well, my one of my daughters is very young. She came home from school and she was not in a good mood. And I asked her what was going on, and she said, "Well, somebody made fun of her hair." And I said, "Well, when was that?" And she said, "Well, when I first got to school, when I was at my locker." And I said, "Well, that was like eight o'clock this morning. It's four thirty, and you're still thinking about it." Well, see, if you have a, if you are able to come up with a procedure for how you're going to react to that, you you react to it, you let it go, and then it's gone. And so it really doesn't matter whether it happened at school or whether it happens at the mall. It, it doesn't matter. It's the the procedure begins to uh, it begins to tra- um, travel with you, and it also migrates from it's there. It's not just somebody saying they don't like your hair. It's somebody saying something to you that you would normally have an emotional reaction to. And you just begin to drop into this subroutine, as you call it, um, and it becomes uh, those situations lose their power. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Before we run out of time, would you mind telling people where they can find your books? Well, the books are available pretty much everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, they're in uh, Kindle, the um, the audio book is available both on my website, um, you know, which is you can get to it from TomSterner.com, but it's also available on Audible. Uh, the fully engaged audio version is not out yet. That book has just been released in print and digital form. But um, you know, they'll actually they'll find the book in a lot of bookstores. But the, all the big vendors carry it. Fantastic. Um, you know, your book talks about global awakening that's uh, currently happening in the world. This is one of my favorite subjects. Would you share share what you know about it? Well, what I'm seeing is that if you look at um, all of this, the performance studies that are going on, if you look at it in, in sports, um, what they have realized is that when we are in the present moment and we are functioning in the present moment, we are operating at our highest capacity. We get a lot more done with a lot less 
a sense of struggle in a lot less time. We're much more productive. And that has been proven out in the Western empirical area, you know, uh, studies and also in the sports arena. But it's also been said for thousands of years through Eastern thought. So I think it's very interesting how the two of them, you know, the, we've basically taken what has been around for a long time and we've, we've proven it out so that it makes sense to us and we can accept it. You know, interesting, Gwilda, I was, um, the practicing mind, I was approached by a Japanese publishing company. They wanted to publish the, bu- the book. And what was interesting about it was that they said that this, the philosophy in that book was core to how their country had developed. And the, but the people had become so westernized that they wanted to get back to that philosophy. But in order for them to understand it and relate it, they had to hear it in a Western way. <laughs> so it, that kind of shows you the loop that things have taken, like, um, the, the, uh, basically was part of the development of that, had lost it, and now they needed to hear it from a different perspective in order to even be able to relate to it. Right. You know, uh, a lot of the procedures that I've, you know, read in your books are reminding me of what they call circular learning. And that's um, used in Taekwondo. It's used in a lot of your, your Eastern practices in martial arts. And yet the school systems have gotten away from that. And that's where you go back to the original uh, starting point of a procedure rather than the point of failure and start building again and again and again. And it seems like this is what we need to get back to, is where we get a good, solid foundation, and that's rewiring the brain again, yes? Yes, it is. And I think the other thing that's very promising that they're finding out, I just recently read an article about a school in Baltimore that had a tremendous discipline problem, and they replaced their um, detention room with a meditation room with purple beanbag chairs and these kids when they would act out they would send them to this room and they taught them how to meditate well their their problems plummeted uh, they haven't had a suspension in over a year I mean what we're finding is it's not that complicated I mean we these kids uh, don't know what it feels like to have a calm mind their minds are always racing and there's there's always uh, this hyper stimulation that's happening all around them and when they get to experience some quietude uh, it really changes how they process everything that's going on around them. It's very valuable, and I, and I think it's becoming more and more mainstream. I mean, it used to be if you if you met it, if you talked about meditation, people thought well, you're either a hippie or you're talking about a, a guy in a saffron robe up in the Himalayas. Whereas now it's in sports, it's in um, stress management, it's everywhere. So I think it's very promising the path that we're on. Yes, it is, and I'm actually familiar with that school. I'm working on getting one of them in for an interview because I think that information needs to get out. We're getting close to the end here, but would you mind sharing how does gratitude fit in here? Once you've reached a goal, do we really claim what we've gotten on the other side if we aren't present and grateful for having it? No, I think it's very easy. As I said earlier, what happens is we, we pick a goal, we become very attached to the moment we're going to achieve it, and as soon as we achieve it, we immediately pick another goal because we haven't really appreciated everything that we've accomplished, and that's where the gratitude comes in. You know, There's this total joy in realizing that you are in a constant state of expansion. You can interpret that constant state of expansion as longing, or you can experience it as growth and because you're never going to be all that you can be. And so that, to me, is, the to- is really the blessing of the human spirit. It's the blessing of how we're designed. 
Um, and if, like I said, we can misinterpret that. And uh, when we do, it makes us miserable. But when we understand what, we're, what we have in front of us and that we're never going to run out of an ability to expand, there is total gratitude. There's gratitude in the process. When we achieve the goal, there's gratitude in the fact that we are, have the ability to achieve the goal and that we can never run out of goals. All of those things are, are a blessing instead of this hollow feeling of, I want this, I can't be happy until I have it, then I get this, and okay, now I have this, that, gra- that feeling of accomplishment lasts a few seconds, and now I'm looking at the next thing I need to get, the next car, the next cell phone, whatever it is. It's just an amazing concept, and, and one that we've lost in this culture, the, the ability to really be grateful in order to receive, and the ability to stay in process. This has been absolutely wonderful, Thomas. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Our guest this hour has been Thomas M. Sterner, the author of Early Engaged and The Practicing Mind. His website, www.tomsterner.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Remember, you can always listen to past thought-provoking episodes on our website, www.thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge, comforted with love, as you fully engage with life.